I want to speak to you tonight from God's Word about something that I think is the absolute core of what the local church must have if it wants God's blessing. And it's the one thing that is most culturally distorted no matter where you go around the world and, in, and as the internet has taken on an, an international uh, personality, it has distorted that very thing uh, even more severely than it was distorted beforehand. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the chapter that we all can immediately identify as the chapter of that speaks on love, charity. And I want to speak to you tonight on this very topic because a local church or a believer that doesn't have this settled, that doesn't have the proper definition of love, that it doesn't... Uh, hold the proper place in a person's life in, in what is motivating them and what is driving them and what is behind all of the things that they're striving to do for the Lord Jesus Christ and all the things that they're striving to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. A church or a believer who does not have that in its proper place, this chapter says it's nothing. It's all for naught. It's all wasted. It's all... It's all seed to the wind. America is a great country. I can love things about Russia, but I love my country. And I'm proud of my country. But Americans put up a facade. And they don't let people into their hearts into their close to their souls. If they post something on Facebook, it's just because they want to see how many likes they can get. Because nobody ever says anything negative on Facebook unless it's somebody else that says something that's negative and then everybody's negative about the one who was negative. <laughs> you know, I got my hair done or I went on this vacation and, and, and like, 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 you know, and all this other stuff. And, oh, you're beautiful and, oh, this, this is nice and, oh, whatever. And you're such a beautiful family and whatever this and whatever, whatever. You know, and it's all fake. People are putting out these, these little vignettes of their lives but it's not where they are. It's not where they live. It's not their, their daily existence. And, and, when we, and, it, and it comes into the church in that, you know, Americans are, are I want to say the word notorious, but are known for, you know, saying, hi, how are you? And the answer is, fine, thanks, how are you? And the answer is, fine, great, thanks. Well, half the time it's a lie. And when we really do want at times to be able to share things that are on our heart and soul, we're too afraid that we're going to inconvenience somebody and they're like, you know, I don't, I don't need your baggage, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, you know, you just need to take care of that on your own because, you know, 
uh, or we're afraid that in, in the church that there's going to be someone who goes, yeah, I always knew there was something that wasn't quite right you know, about this person. You're not, you're not as spiritual as the rest because you've got problems. You've got baggage. You've got you know, issues. And so we've created our culture that has seeped into the church has robbed us of the care and the nurture that the love that should be in the local church should, should be the very thing that heals and nurtures our walk with the Lord so that we can truly glorify Jesus Christ and so that people can see something that is amazingly different in our lives. And what I'm saying, and what I, when we read this chapter, what I want us to focus on is look and apply this to, to where we are. Look and apply it to the culture that surrounds us. Look and apply it to what is the ideal that we should expect in the local church. But if we're going to expect it, then it means we better give it. We better contribute to it, just like those young men that are coming up to me now saying, you know what, you've been bearing this burden long enough. We better be willing to take on part. We better be willing to contribute. We better be willing to, to work to make it happen. So that what we read about here, this, this kind of biblical love, Christ-honoring, Christ-like love, nurtures and glows and builds and enriches and soothes and, does, and just provides the need of the heart of the believer, and I'm don't, and I'm not trying to take away from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that the two are not in competition with one another; they both work in tandem to perfectly make the man of God who he should be. So let's read First Corinthians chapter thirteen together and and think about what is it that God wants to see. Jesus Christ wants to see in in me. And in this body, this physical body that is, that is like a person, this church, what does he want to see here that will, that will reflect him to the world around us? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, and whether there be tongues, they shall cease, and whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but... 
when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These are three, but the greatest of these is charity. This chapter gives itself to be divided into three parts, verses 1 through 3, verses 4 through 8a, and then the second part of verse 8, although verse 8 kind of can go both sides one way or the other uh, through the end of, through verse 12, and verse 13 is kind of like the summary of the three divisions, so it's perfect, you know, for for the theological seminary outline, you know, that has three points, two jokes, and an illustration, and... Uh, which, you know, Russians don't do. Our sermons there are completely different than the sermons here. We don't do the this point, that point. It's more following a, uh, a I don't want to say stream of thought, but an idea being developed and brought to uh, a logical conclusion or to whatever the point is that's trying to be made, and it doesn't have to be alliterated, thank, thankfully so, because I'm terrible at alliterating in English and in Russian, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> But I did today, the proper perspective of this, the proper perspective, I, I got all three proper perspectives in here, so, you know. Uh, the proper positional perspective of love versus gifts, verses one through three. So my, my trying to get it all with the three Ps. Uh, so, here we've got the, the initial part that gives us the ability to to compare and contrast so that we can, we can look at, you know, okay, where does love fall within the, where, what shelf is it on? Where, where is it prioritized or placed in comparison to some of the other spiritual gifts or how does it relate to the other gifts? And you don't have to read this chapter, these verses, you don't have to have a, a degree in theology to get it, right? It doesn't matter what the gift is, if it isn't, if the basis of it isn't love, then it ain't nothing. To use the, the, the wonderful southern vernacular, right? We don't have ain't in Russian, so oh well. So he's saying, listen, I can, I can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and by the way, that is not some sort of heavenly language that doesn't exist because point one, Angels in the Bible, when they appear, they don't need an interpreter. Point two, men in the Bible, when they speak to angels, don't have to have an interpreter. Point three, uh, <laughs> any other place that defines, and especially in 1 Corinthians, when it defines the gift of tongues, is talking about a known tongue. Point four, in Acts, when they were uh, given the, the Holy Spirit and they spake in tongues, every man understood in the language in which they were born. So we are defined there what the gift of tongues is and what it's all about and how it was. And so, you know, uh, we don't have to be any, going any further with the charismatic chaos with all of that because that's already taken care of. But it doesn't matter how many languages you can speak. It doesn't matter 
what, where, where you are in the spectrum of educational, whatever concerning languages, though, you have all of those things. If I don't have, if the basis of, of any of those gifts, especially with this gift, if the basis is not love, then what's the point? What's the point if you can speak in every language on the planet? If, if there's no love behind it, and if the, if the love of Jesus Christ is what's not, what, not what's driving you and motivating you and, and, and leading you to speak to other people and, and to point them to Jesus Christ, if you're doing it just so that you can say, Another notch on the belt. I hate when I get those letters from pastors that say, how many doors did you knock this week? And how many baptisms did you have this year? And we want the stats. Well, I have a shredder by my desk. Or the delete button on my... It doesn't even make it to the shredder because it gets deleted before it ever gets printed. I don't do that. I'm sorry. What is... The important is that a man be found faithful. And so here, the basis of that, how can a man be found faithful? Well, first of all, he has to understand what love is. He has to have love. And that love is the... There are two characteristics of Jesus Christ that are our saving, our saving grace. That is love and mercy. Without his love and without his mercy, we would not have salvation. We would have his judgment and his condemnation, which we so greatly deserve daily because we are wretched sinners. But his love and his mercy caused him to act, to humble himself and take on the form of a servant and to humble himself to the death of the cross so that we can have forgiveness of sins. That is love that humbles itself, that sacrifices, that serves for the good and the enrichment and the blessing and the salvation of another. If you have a spiritual gift and God gives to men gifts as he wishes. This body is blessed with people who have multitudes of gifts. And that's why it's not profitable for us to compare ourselves amongst ourselves because your gift is not my gift. My gift is not your gift. And guess what? That's good. God doesn't need cookie-cutter clones. He needs his unique children that are as unique, more unique than the stars that he created. If every star is unique in the heaven and they have their names, how much more did he invest in us when we were created in his likeness and in his image that he gave his son for us? That is love. A love that gives and sacrifices of self. I told a young man not too long ago about the ministry. I said, if it doesn't cost you time that you don't want to give, and if it doesn't take you away from things that you don't want to be taken away from to do things that you hate doing but have to be done, 
if it doesn't cost you something that you really don't want to sacrifice, then it ain't ministry yet. And if I have a charity, then I'm as sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. It's like a wind chime hanging by the door. And though I have the gift of prophecy, I, I can, I can I speak, whether this be the form of prophecy that talks about the, the, before the New Testament was completed, where men were writing the words as God breathed them through them, or whether it's talking about the form of prophecy that's talking about witnessing to others and telling them about Jesus Christ. Both, both are forms of the same word prophecy. Whether it be one or the other, if I have that gift, if I have understanding of all mysteries, you know, I haven't talked to Pastor Webb about this, but, you know, I got assigned the second coming. Now, second coming and 60th anniversary. Okay, everybody stop, because we're just going to stand here and wait for the coming, the second coming or whatever. Let's pause the anniversary, you know, just in case, you know. I was still wrapping my mind on how to put all that together, but I'll figure it out between now and then, Lord willing, I hope. Otherwise, I'll stand in the pulpit and pray for the second coming. <laughs> so I have understand, I can understand all mysteries and all knowledge. You know, Solomon had, he was the man that God gave just as Job went through trials and sufferings like no other man in the Bible. Solomon had wisdom and understanding and experience like no other man in the Bible. Though I have all of that, and I have faith that I could remove a mountain, if I don't have love, then I'm nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, I... I am generous to a fault. I, I, I take care of people around me. I give, though I suffer, I give my body to be burned. And though I ha- if I don't have charity, there's no profit in it. Charity suffereth long. It means that it's willing to endure a situation where there's no reciprocity. I'm not getting anything out of this. In fact, it's costing me something. I demonstrate love just to get bitten. And I demonstrate love again just to get hit. And I demonstrate love again just to be gossiped about. Charity suffereth long and is kind. It doesn't go tit for tat. It doesn't try to get even. It doesn't envy. Ooh, brother got a new car. Or they 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 got this kind of a vacation. Or I can remember my first few years in, in missions where I didn't let anybody know anything, hardly, as if I could, just because I was afraid that somebody was going to say, oh, so that's what you do. Charity envieth not. Love, love is excited when God blesses somebody else. When God gives somebody an opportunity that's amazing, 
Uh, one of my friends is a missionary. He was he's waiting. He's in the States. He's anyways waiting on a car. So he rented a car, and turns out when he got the car he rented, it had a chunk missing in the tire, and so they gave him a free upgrade to a Cadillac. I'm like, whoa! I never got a Cadillac. That's okay. I don't need a Cadillac. I'm excited. I'm like, so he was he was driving somewhere to a, up driving up towards Ohio or somewhere, and I wrote him and I said, so like you're just like cruising and having a good time right now, aren't you? You know, I was excited that that you know that God just opened that door. That we should be. That's that's one of the characteristics of love. You know, just like with your children, you're excited to see when they when they 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 take their first steps when they do well in school, when they, when they master some sort of skill or talent. or We're excited to see how they, they, they start taking these, these amazing steps. You know, for me, it's exciting. I come back now, you know, I taught Sunday school at Calvary for a while, and I see some of these kids that aren't kids anymore, and, you know, where the things that they're doing now, and I think it's just amazing. I think it's awesome. Well, that's the way we should be as a body as a church, for one another here. We should be excited to see God bless and God give and God do something. Charity wanteth not itself. It doesn't have to insert itself to be the best to, to, to say, Oh yeah, well I I got I when you know so my friend gets a Cadillac. Oh yeah, well I got this happened to me, and I, you know I got a one up him. It's not puffed up, you know. I, well, you know, that I have to show that I'm somebody. That is the opposite of who Jesus Christ was. His visage was not one that that brought. Uh, people that drew people to it. His ministry, he, his place of where he was born, his ministry, the people that he ministered to. He was so frequently criticized that he, he ministered. You don't want to be around that kind of person. He humbled himself. The one who created us humbled himself and died on the cross and he let he let the dust the filthy dirt of the earth that we are crucify him and mock him and scourge him and it was only because of his love for us and the mercy that he demonstrated charity true love doesn't have to be Number one, it doesn't have to be puffed up. It doesn't have to have uh, uh, the word that I hate from millennials to hear, validation. I'm sorry. That is a carnal, useless aberration. I can say a few more words about what I don't like about it. The term validation. I don't need anything except the day that I stand in the presence of Christ to hear, well done. I even heard somebody say not too long ago, you know what? 
I don't even need to hear the well done. I'd just be happy to see a smile. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> You're right. I don't even need the well done. Love will sacrifice to serve. It doesn't need to be number one. It doesn't need other people's validation. It doesn't need its ego stroked. Because it's not about me. It's about the one who died for me. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. It's not selfish. It's not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. I could take some time and we could go into Matthew. Pastor Rob preached on it this morning and went over Matthew chapter 18. And we could also go to 1 John chapter 3 about forgiveness and hatred. If we want God's blessing, if we want this biblical characteristic of love to be what we are known, the essence of who we are, then it cannot think evil. That means that, okay, listen, everybody here is made of flesh. We are sinners. And we have good days and we have the rest of the days that we are everything except what we really should be like on the good days. And a brother and sister in Christ gets offended or hurt. You know, sometimes we hurt people around us and we don't even realize that we've done it. And to the person who's hurt, you realize that as well. The person who hurt you could be really, really clueless that they did it. They aren't asking for forgiveness and you're irritated that that person should be coming to you and asking for forgiveness, but they're not asking for forgiveness because they didn't even get it. They didn't even know that they hurt you. They didn't even know they offended you. And you're sitting there stewing and brewing and whenever that person's name comes up, you're not going to gossip per se if you can avoid it. Bless their heart. Uh, Y'all pray for him. But we're going, to, we're going to get into the conversation, the negative event, characteristics or the things that, that draw our thoughts away from thinking well of that person to, to really just, wow, you know, I don't, I don't know that I really want to get close to that person because if that's who they really are, then, you know, why should I risk it? Why do I want, you know, whatever. Well, so there it is. It thinketh no evil, and then the tongue, which is a, a, a fiery thing that can do so much damage, has already done it. It rejoices not in iniquity. You know, okay, every, every single person here is a sinner. That means that you have things about you 
that are sinful, that are failing the grace of God, and guess what? Other people see it. They got it. They know it. You look in the mirror and it's like a, a carnival mirror that's distorted and you don't, you don't get it. You think everything looks good. But the reality that other people see, it's glaring to them. Love doesn't rejoice in, in the failures and doesn't get uh, validation for myself just because somebody else is, has got a problem that I consider to be worse than mine. Rejoices in truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. It doesn't fail. Charity is all in 100% for my brother and sister in Christ because I want God to do great things in their life. And that means that I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to be invested. I'm going to give. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to pour into that person's life or their family or their, their needs or whatever else as much as, I, as God allows me to pour into them because I want to see them succeed because we're all part of one body. And if one part of the body is suffering, guess what? I'm suffering. Like I said, if you don't have a right concept of the local church and what it means to be a member of the local church, then you can't get this aspect of love correct because the universal church just ain't going to do it. But the local church, the local body of believers of which we are fitly and perfectly made and incorporated, nurtures and blesses one another. And that then brings us to the point that we have to, and I'm, I'm not even going through the three Ps, so I'll, if you want to know what they are, I'll tell you later. Forget them, you know, I'll just do it Russian style. It brings us to the point where if we as believers don't take the mask off, if we don't become transparent in this place with this body of believers, with this church family, with the body with, that I am perfectly a part of, if I don't let my mask down, if I don't let people in, if I don't become transparent with those around me, I'm stealing from them, I'm hurting them as more than I'm hurting myself. That is not love, that is sin. That is selfishness that puffs itself up because my image and my reputation is more important than whether the whole body suffers ought to repent before God of the pride that Jesus Christ says that God resisteth the proud. American culture doesn't promote being transparent. It promotes being a victim. It promotes validation. It promotes all this I hate, I'm going to say it promotes all this silly stuff that the millennial generation is trying to, to, to foister on everybody else that everybody else has to put up with. But it's all synthetic. And there's nothing genuine about it because 
It's all ego-centered. The local church is the place where I let, I let down my guard, where I can be genuine so that the people around me see the needs that are in my life so that others can minister to me. And then as they minister to me, I, I minister to them or I minister to others. Charity never faileth. It doesn't come up short. It doesn't fail at the time when I need it the most. Are there prophecies that are going to fail? Tongues they are going to cease? Whether there be knowledge, it's going to vanish away. Who knows what, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, everything else about the kingdom and whatever. I mean... I've got one deacon that loves ancient history, and he goes on and on sometimes in Sunday school, sometimes about some of this ancient history stuff. You know, can you tell me what century this person was from? And I'm like, no, but that's why you're here. I'm not going to rob you of your moment. Knowledge is going to fail, you know. We know in part, we prophesy in part, all that. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I, I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. And that's the point about Christian growth. And the whole point of what, what I'm trying to say about this necessary characteristic of love. A child is by nature selfish. Give me. That's mine. I want that. It's only when we put away the childish things that we can learn to give and get joy in giving. Get, have joy in sacrificing. Have joy in ministering to other people. Count it a privilege to see the heart and so, the genuine heart and soul of another human being. And to be able to be a part of that person's life to that degree. Now we see through a glass darkly. We, we, I've always wondered about this. You know, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Well, does that mean everybody in heaven is going to know stuff about me? I mean, what stuff's going to get known? Wow. Now we're looking through a glass darkly. But just think about it. Music music is the voice and language of emotion. And in heaven we will see the soul. The true essence of, of who we are. Imagine the blessing that a church would have, a body of believers would have, if we cleaned that glass a, just a little bit while we're here. It's tinted, but not quite that dark of a shade. Because we're willing to let people in. It means that there's a trust. It means that there is 
the love that's there. It means that there's something that is genuine and mutual and deeper and greater and broader than anything else. And the thing that drives our desire to be to this kind of person that can have this kind of love is Jesus Christ. If we haven't got, if we don't have our eyes, uh, it's a, it's a, it, it, it falls so short. If we don't have our eyes on Jesus Christ, <laughs> if he isn't the love of our soul, He isn't the music of our heart and soul and emotion and essence. Then we can't love the way that we should love because we don't understand what true love is. You know, this past year, a year and a half ago, I went through a pretty dark place. And God used it to break me. And I put some of it in a prayer letter that I wrote last year. I never understood the book of Job before. But in Job 23, when he said, I looked before and I looked behind me and I looked to the left and I looked to the right, and God was nowhere. I... I understand that now because I was there for a year. And uh, I'm pretty strong-willed and stubborn, so it took a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Kind of took something like that to kind of... I'm pretty determined at times. and So God had to... He had to push me until he finally could break me. And I remember the first day after when I was just, I, I, I couldn't even grasp at straws anymore. But I remember that first time that I saw my shepherd again after a year of being in the pit. And it was the loveliest thing I have ever seen in my life. It was the most special moment other than my salvation and maybe even, even greater than the moment of my salvation because I was nine at the time, so I don't really remember that as, as much as I do this. But I saw my shepherd in a way that I have never seen him before. And I understood the depth and the greatness, and how amazing his love truly is. And it is life-changing. It changes your perspective on everything. It changes every relationship in your life. It changes everything about you. You're not instantly perfect. Believe me, I know. But everything is, everything's, it's, 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 a, it's a new world. It's completely different. And that's what I'm saying. Chapter 13 is speaking to us and saying, don't get 
on our red herring trail through gifts or whatever else and all this other stuff so that you miss what's really there. And that is the love of Jesus Christ that is beyond words. The beauty and the love, the beauty of the love, the beauty in the love, the beauty that the love produces that it changes you. And only once we have seen that glorious love of Jesus Christ that transforms us in a way because it penetrates to the very depth of our soul. It gives it gives our soul a song. And when that occurs, when that love of Jesus Christ is so clear in your heart and in your mind and in your soul, then we can love the way that God wants us to. So what's the conclusion of this? Where are you now? What's the essence of your Christian life? What is the thing that motivates you and drives you and gives you joy? What, is, what are the hang-ups that have, have sidetracked you? And are you willing to repent of those things? Because you have to repent. You have to confess them as sin. You have to properly identify them and jettison them so that there's room for what is genuine. There's room for what Jesus Christ wants to see there. And that is a biblical love that will be a blessing and a nurture to everyone else, that you can be a part of the body of Christ and and be a blessing because you truly love your brothers and sisters in Christ. They are precious to you because you've seen how much Jesus Christ loves you. And that kind of love, that kind of love changes the way that you want to be related to everybody else that exists in the world. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on his glorious face. The things of earth, they're strange, they're dim, they're they're useless. His glory, His grace, His love. Do you know that love? First of all, in salvation. And second of all, in that you've been willing to sacrifice all of these other things because they're all vanity. Solomon tried it all. Vanity. It's all useless. It's all worthless. But the love that we have is within the body of Christ. 
is something that will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's something that the world has never seen the likes of. Maybe it means that you need to confess some sin because of thinking evil, of being jealous, of being puffed up, of wanting to promote, wanting others to think. Maybe it's a humbling of yourself because you've got to let your mask down and let other people see some things in your life that you don't necessarily want other people to see, but because you have humbled yourself, God will do amazing things. And the body of Christ will minister and nurture and change you. And then you will change them. The biblical view of love is foreign to this world that we live in today. It is foreign to the artificial culture that has been fostered upon us. But the love of Jesus Christ is true and eternal, and it's ours. Let's pray.